0: I'm Dave Rubin and joining me today is a Senator from South Carolina, as well as the author of the new book, America, a redemption story, choosing hope, creating unity. Senator Tim Scott, finally, welcome to the Rubin Report.
1: <laughs> well, thank you, Dave. It's good. it's good to be with you. Thank you very much for having me. I look forward to our conversation. We have lots to talk about, but the good news is I'm excited to finally be on the show. Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it goes both ways. We've been trying to get you on for quite some time. The schedules haven't quite matched up, but here we are. So let's let's dive right into yes, it, sir. I, I, because I want to talk about the book, but I obviously want to talk about current events and election and, and all of Absolutely. that stuff. And uh, you know some of the some of the things you're doing right now. But first, the, the general point of the book. <clears throat> is positivity, it is decency. It is something that seemingly everyone talks about, but right. nobody does particularly well. I include myself in that sometimes. I try to do it, I often fail. Can you talk a little bit about how your life led you to writing something based in that idea?
1: You know, Dave, the America Redemption story is a book that I see as a positive view of the world as it is, not as I hope that it will be the truth is that what I learned through life is that the pain that I've gone through has helped to clarify my purpose that my obstacles have become the opportunities and frankly the mess I made of my life has become my message so the truth is that yes it's a positive book but it's not one of those pie in the sky hoping that something will be different than it is it's the reality of what is there is a way for us to bring forth a positive message in the midst of the chaos and frankly I'm sure we'll talk about inflation and some of the other challenges that we see today. As a kid who grew up during the Carter years, I thank God almighty for Ronald Reagan. And so the truth is that I learned why I love President Ronald Reagan, because of the misery of high inflation, even higher interest rates and scarcity, not a mentality, but at the gas pump. So the truth is that when I think about the hardest times I've seen in my life, somehow some way a silver lining appeared and that book talks about that silver lining in race it talks about it with the former president it talks about it in winning and losing elections it talks about it through this economic challenge that we're going through right now so I find the silver lining when it's there when it's not there I just tell the blunt truth that it's not there so 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 it can be tough to find
0: the silver lining with so many of the things going on right now between inflation and supply chain and the war not war in Ukraine and a yes. whole bunch of other stuff. But do you think, do you really view us in that Jimmy Carter moment right now, which maybe could cause, you know, sort of a red pilling of Americans, the average American that didn't realize that maybe big government doesn't work and yeah. printed
1: money doesn't work and the rest of it? Well, Dave, you're, you're, A, you're right, <laughs> big government, has not worked and we have a history to prove that it doesn't work, Uh, inflation is led by this one concept that you talked about, spending money you don't have, buying things you don't need. How do we prove that? Well, $1.9 trillion on a COVID relief package with 1% for COVID vaccines, that led to pouring literal gasoline, not literal, figurative gasoline on the fire, right? (laughs) Uh, give, them, uh, give them some time yeah, when they're getting they're, rid of our strategic reserves. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go $1.2 trillion after that in an infrastructure bill that had 10% for roads and bridges over the next five years. You you, you follow that up with a $739 billion plan called Reduction, Inflation Reduction Act. And it's really the Inflation Acceleration Act. And not only does it accelerate inflation, but it actually adds more fuel to the fire by having the IRS come through your file, so to speak, targeting people under $200,000 a year. So the truth is, this is like the Jimmy Carter years in that gas is high, inflation is high, and interest is creeping up. And that's a problem that causes the recession when combined with the overspending in Washington.
0: So anytime I have a Republican on, Congressman, Senator, doesn't matter, I, I basically ask one question always, which is, do you think they are doing this intentionally? Do you believe that they think this stuff works or is this you know, what people are calling sort of like a calculated implosion? Dave, yeah, like- that's a great
1: question. I can't say that the, the, the rank and file Democrats have a strategy to have the economy implode because of the pressure of inflation, the pressure of interest rates. What I can tell you is that the strategy to slow roll interest rate increases had a lot to do, from my perspective, of people being up for reappointment. It had something to do with trying to satisfy the, the whims and the wishes of the Biden administration. And that combination. Whether intentional or not, led to an acceleration of inflation in a way that we haven't seen since the Carter years. So I don't imagine that they have a grand design to completely destroy the American economy. I do think they have a grand design to change the very DNA of the American people. When you look at what's happening, it's undeniable that what is clearly happening is a centralization in decision making and in spending, when you take the power and the money and you put them in the same place, that is by design, and that is bad for everybody outside the Beltway.
0: So, when you talk to, or or if you talk to, say, a Democrat governor, maybe uh, I just fled California now. I live in the free state of Florida. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you were to talk to Gavin Newsom, or if you have talked to him, or just one of the Democrats, Hochul up in New York, Whitmer, whoever it might be. Yeah. I mean. Do, do they think what they're doing is good? I mean, putting aside whether it works or not, I mean, just the intention. I, I'm, still, I'm still unclear on this. It, I just can't figure it out.
1: Well, Dave, I, I have to hope that their intentions are good. I don't know the mind of the person, so I try my best not to decide whether their intentions are good or not. But what I can tell you is that if you're living in California or Illinois, let, let me say it this way, Dave. In the words of the CEO of McDonald's, Headquartered in Illinois. They are very concerned, not just with the taxes, but with the violence. They literally say people are overdosing in our restaurants, that violent crime is happening in our restaurants. If this is the Chicago and the Illinois that is in our future, we're concerned that we can't stay. That should have reverberated throughout all of the country and specifically in Illinois. Governor Pritzker should have said, OMG, McDonald's is now speaking out about the crime. McDonald's is speaking out about overdoses in their restaurant. Whatever I'm doing in this state, I should apologize and quit. Or if I'm not going to do those two things, apologize and do a 180 degree turn In the opposite direction. Here's what we know works. We know that rule of law works. We know that an objective standard for the rule of law being applied equally works. We know that no bail doesn't work. We know that defunding the police doesn't work. We know that creating tribalism doesn't work. So if we know these things don't work, why does Gavin Newsom not know that? Why does Governor Prisker not know that? I don't have an answer for what's going through their cranial cavity. I can tell you, it's time to stop.
0: Yeah, so and that's why I asked you sort of the same question in two ways, because when you see 350,000 people flee California, yes. which is what happened last year, you'd think Gavin might go, I don't know, maybe this has something to do with my policies,
1: but okay. Toyota let, let's move... ran, ran, ran to Texas from California. I mean, yeah. Elon Musk is now in, Texas, I mean, there, there there are some breadcrumbs being left by some really smart people. They should just pick them up and see where they lead.
0: I keep telling people I would have paid an entry fee to get into Florida. <laughs> I don't wanna give that, I now, now as a Floridian, I'm okay with that idea, but you know, it's all right. Um, so I wanna talk about the Protect Kids Act because you, you are, are leading on this from a, a legislative standpoint related to all of the gender nonsense, but before, before we do that, let's do one other social justice thing. According to my notes here, uh, you are black. Is that My is that mother and correct? my father
1: have confirmed the fact. I am black.
0: Okay, well, bo- well wait a minute, Senator. Uh, according to mainstream media, you can't be black and Republican. You what's know, going on here? I,
1: I have tried to figure that out. I, lo- I looked at the polling information and the polling <laughs> suggests that there's 82% chance that I'm black, but the chances are 100%. Here's what's happening. And Dave, this is really simple. Anytime an African-American who happens to be conservative starts making common sense on TV, the left must nullify the very existence of someone they wished was a unicorn. But I am not. I am real. I am not a fairy tale. I am actual, really here in front of you. The truth is that the most dangerous sight they've ever seen is someone who actually fights for the very people they say they represent and produces results like opportunity zones. When you think about bringing poverty to the history of America, 2019, think about the fact it is the year that the private sector invested $29 billion through opportunity zones in those marginalized communities, leading to an 8% increase in wages, a 20% increase in property values, which closes the, it shrinks the gap between the haves and the have-nots, And oh, by the way, it led to the lowest level ever recorded for poverty. That scares the blue Dickens out of the blue, the left. It's a strange thing, but it works. We have the proof is in the pudding. Black conservatives that stand up for folks living in marginalized communities represent something that MSNBC and sometimes CNN, they just can't stomach it. But here we are.
0: They can't. You know, I don't know if you know this, but I campaigned with alongside Larry Elder when during the California recall and I would open for him at some events and you know, I'd read the headlines and they'd say, you know, all his supporters are white supremacists yeah. and he's the black face of white supremacy. And I'm out there in front of thousands of people waving American flags, cheering him on and they're calling them the yes. white supremacists. Well, and, like, <laughs> man, you gotta get your watch David, here,
1: Here's the funny thing is here's a guy uh, who uh, ran for Congress in 2010 against the son, Strom Thurmond, in the birthplace of the Civil War, Charleston. And because of the evolution of the Southern heart, I s- sit now as a United States senator for the great state of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. If we were talking about racist, not supporting candidates of color, I wouldn't be here. N- nor would uh, a successful Wesley Hunt, who won his His uh, primary in Texas, by the way, primaries are typically Republican primaries are are more white than the overall population. So if you want to test the theory of race and politics, go to places like Texas or, or Charleston, South Carolina or John James in Michigan. And you start noticing there's a trend that people actually judge you based on the content of your character, not the color of your skin. Ask Myra Flores or Young Kim or Michelle Steele you'll get the same conclusion that Americans are far more interested in what's on the inside than we are the outside. But Democrats, the tribal nature of identity politics requires them to start on the outside and use these, artific- these, 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 these characteristics to come to an artificial conclusion consistent with the very theory of progress. We are the land of opportunity. We are the place where hope breathes eternal.
0: Do you think it's possible that Republicans or conservatives, whatever you wanna call yep. right-leaning people, w- was, it a, was it bad messaging on that side or was the messaging of the left just so effective to create these untrue uh, memes that you're describing? Because it's not, I can tell you as someone that yeah. was a left in yeah. my whole life, came across the aisle <laughs> now and it's like, I meet the most decent, loving, open, actually more open-minded even than the purported open-minded people. I mean, that's well, the Dave, One thing. of the
1: things I, I found to be quite interesting is the definition of any words used in, in politics today, like the Inflation Reduction Act actually increases inflation, yep. or the fact that you hear people talking about the Republican party being a, a group of racists or deplorables, and the truth is, when the guy from the Black Lives Matter a leader showed up at the Trump rally, they gave him the stage. I, I, I mean, yeah, and so yeah. they, they applauded him for the things that they agreed upon and they didn't boo him. They they treated him with respect and deference on the areas of disagreement. He was stunned and sh- uh, we say in my office, shooketh, <laughs> which, which is a Tim Scott internal phrase for, I can't believe that happened. So literally, Uh, What we find happening all across the country is people of good intent, they welcome debate. They actually welcome disagreement. What they don't welcome is indoctrination. What they don't welcome is you telling me that because of the color of my skin, I'm an oppressor. Or you, frankly, telling me because of the color of my skin, I'm a victim. Both are offensive. But people of good intent, they don't judge you based on these superficial things. They judge you based on how the heart responds to the crisis of the moment.
0: All right, so speaking of the crisis of the moment, let's talk about your Protect Kids Act. I've done a ton here on on the gender stuff obviously all the woke stuff. First off, how did this even get to your desk? Is there an issue, a real issue with this in South Carolina? Are you just kind of modeling this off what DeSantis is doing down here or how did yeah, this get listen, to desk? I,
1: I celebrate all the governors around the country who take very seriously the importance relationship between a parent and their teachers. And Governor DeSantis has led on this and we should give him a lot of credit for doing so. What I've seen across the country, I've I've been, focused on school choice and empowering parents for the last nine years. Uh, I, I love the model that uh, Jeb Bush had and Rick Scott had and now Ron DeSantis has in, in in Florida, but the truth is that governors throughout the country, including Kim Reynolds uh, in Iowa, they're all focusing on school choice. And one of the reasons why is I had this panel and I, I had parents uh, from around the country, one from Virginia come down to Charleston, South Carolina, and she says to me, I need basically a FOIA." a Freedom of Information Act request just to get a copy of my kid's curriculum. I I can't get into the school. And then you hear these parents in Iowa and in, in Virginia who are concerned about their kids being indoctrinated from a gender perspective. I decided that the problems are not just in one state, they seem to be in many states So one of the things that makes common sense to me is the parent is the person who should be in the biggest, most powerful position possible in making decisions for their kids. Big labor unions and bureaucrats are in the way of those parents making the decisions and then working with their teachers to carry that out. I want that to be nationwide not in one or two states where the governors are taking that issue seriously. Every single state, when you're talking about a 12-year-old, the parents should be engaged in the decisions of their kids. Uh, that's just common sense in my household where I grew up. I wanted to be common sense all across the country.
0: When you talk to the Democrats in South Carolina and you bring this up and you talk about transparency and okay, the power back to the parent, Do do any of them get it? I mean, again, I guess it sort of gets back to that other question we talked about, but to me, something about the one with kids maybe is a wake up sort of like what we saw happen in Virginia with Yunkin winning uh, when it didn't look like he was gonna win just a couple weeks before the election.
1: Absolutely, I I think parents, Democrat parents uh, get this issue as well as Republican parents. This is an issue that actually unites parents across the board. In South Carolina, they were stunned by the developments across the country as it relates to your ability to have a gender identity group and to have uh, uh, teachers feeling like they're forced to provide instruction. That is just antithetical to what's in the best interest of a child to exclude the parent from any conversation around those very important topics. And so this legislation would pull money away from schools who refuse to comply with what the law, by the way, of the land already is. Uh, minors don't make decisions in a vacuum. It requires a parental uh, supervision to make those decisions. I have to reinforce that by pulling the money away so that we can make them pay attention to what the law of the land already is.
0: I, I always think it's funny because I remember when I was a kid, if you, if they took us to the zoo or something at school, or we went down to DC, you'd have to have a parental slip, but somehow now,
1: you to yeah. sign, sign it, yeah.
0: <laughs> but now you can literally talk to a kid about gender identity privately and, and hold it for six months, it, it's nuts. Senator, I should have asked you, I should have just Googled before I started. How old are you, if you don't mind me asking, because I think we're roughly around- Yeah, today's close.
1: my birthday, I am 57. Your, today's your birthday. Yes, sir. Happy, I, I, I said, "What can I do to celebrate my birthday?" <laughs> and the only thing I could think of, Dave. Wow! Was to have my people call you and beg you to have me on today. This is Thank pretty so sweet, much. man. This is pretty sweet. All right, so you're 50, fifty-seven. Fifty-seven, yes, 57 right? That's what so you're said. by forty-seven. You? I'm 46. forty-six.
0: So, so, so we're close enough. Late. You're, yes. you're sort of on the. I guess that would be like the high end of Gen X. I'm kind of right in the middle yeah. of it. But you do you it. think, the reason I ask though, is because as I'm listening to you, and, uh, and as I've you know, heard many of your speeches before, uh, it seems like the message that you've got and your, literally your age, that you are not in your late 70s, 80s, where we're being governed by all of these people, that it seems like our generation was supposed to take the reins and yep. somehow we missed it. Did, yeah. did something happen there that skipped us over in a weird way?
1: You know, that's, great. That's, that's a really great question. I am one of the older genera- generation Xers, that's true. I will say this, that I don't know what quite happened, by the way. I'm not sure if we were too many were asleep at the wheel and just missed that opportunity. I think we should be fully engaged in shaping this country. I think we have enough experience, enough education, enough nicks and bruises to look back and help those who are coming and to look forward and to know what we should take from our parents and what we left on the sidelines. So I think we are in the perfect age range to help recalibrate this country for its best output yet.
0: What do you make of the the general thing that's happening across the country, which is that the states really do seem to be going in very different directions. I mean, I feel like I live in a different country, honestly. I don't mean that to be- Well, from California to Florida, you move
1: from almost a different country, it seems like. I mean, literally, you know,
0: 3,000 miles, but truly it feels like a different country. Obviously, if you live in South Carolina, that's gonna feel very different than living in New York. COVID exacerbated a lot of that. Are, Are you generally okay with that concept?
1: Well, listen, I, I think we've had, uh, we've had very unique and interesting times in, in American history where the states felt a tension that at some times w- was not healthy and that we overcame that. I, I do think we're in another one of those moments where we're seeing the states divide amongst themselves naturally. I mean, the good news is when you can work and live where you want to, you move from California, Florida, you know, or, or you should have stopped by the way in South Carolina and called it home. We say those folks who move from like New Jersey to Cal, to to Florida and then they come back to South Carolina—that's what typically happens over time. We call those folks halfbacks because <laughs> they went all the way down, they went all the way down, they came halfway back. So, Charleston Mickey Haley did a home. number on me too. Yeah. <laughs> it it, it <laughs> was on the list. It was on yes. the list. Honestly, yes, yes, I have yes.
0: I have family in Florida, and that really was like the, the they can final move up sale. to
1: South Carolina too, no problem. We have room for for your family you as well. We like red, red voting cards. They're, they're I am a everybody. newly
0: registered Republican for the first time <laughs> in my life at, yes, at 46 years I old. I love it. So, all right, so let's do a little bit of uh, projecting going forward here. Obviously these midterms are coming, You know, most conventional yes. thinking is there's gonna be some kind of red wave, the incumbent party never does that well in the midterms. Uh, what do you think is gonna happen? What do you want to happen?
1: Well, if I had my brothers, we would win the Senate with about two or three seats to spare. Uh, We would have the House with about, when I came into the House in 2010, I think we had 63 new seats in the House. Uh, That was a banner year without any question. If I had it my way, we'd have that kind of a red tsunami. What I think is going to happen, I think we will control the House uh, at the end of this election, and there is a decent chance that we can control the Senate as well. We need to execute on the field. The, the the game is coming down to the last two minutes. The score is going to be close to tie tied, and I want to make sure that when you give the ball as a quarterback, you turn and you give your ball to your running back. I'm, I'm hoping that Herschel will be jumping over the the, the the goal line in the air with the ball secured, no fumbles, and wins back Georgia. And I'm very confident that Ted Budd will. We'll do a four and out and score on his two 2 minute drills out there. And I'm hoping that Dr. Oz will be the coach on the sideline and drawing up the play and, and we'll execute as he was the Harvard quarterback. So maybe he'll roll, scramble to the left and, and hit, hit the receiver for a three yard score. And, and then J.D. Vance, I know he's a good author, so I'm not sure if he plays football, but he can kick the extra point, heck fire him with that. Race I got to well. tell you, I'm, I'm more of a John. basketball guy, yes. but
0: the references are all working. I'm, I'm follow, uh-
1: Good, good. I'm about done because I started with Herschel. I know nothing about basketball, but maybe we can just get J.D. Vance in the dunk the ball uh, after someone else spikes it. I'm sure you don't <laughs> spike a <in> basketball. <laughs> you don't anyway. spike a basketball. Uh, all right, so, uh, yeah, sure. but
0: okay, so if that happens, let, let's say you get something close to what you want, even Absolutely. if it's, even if yeah. it's not that, that, you know, three senators over, et cetera, but you get some of that. Exactly. What do you think changes here? What do you think honestly changes?
1: Well, the first thing that should change if we control both houses is that we start oversight, uh, an oversight objective to rein in this very unwieldy group of Democrats running this country in the Biden administration. They need oversight like a three-year-old needs a parent to, to say, don't do this. I mean, literally we need to bring the oversight hammer down. Number two, we have to be the party of parents. The one thing that is manifest today throughout this country is that school choice and parental involvement is now more important than it's ever been before. I think it is 67% of Democrats, 68% of the independents, 70% of African-Americans, 74% of Hispanics, 80% of dual income working families all support some form of school choice. After looking at the devastating learning loss and the precipitous drop in scores, we have to lead for parents. That's the second thing we should do. And the third thing we have to do, uh, in my opinion, is to control our southern border and build a physical impediment. It is a national security risk. It is a fentanyl and drug risk, and it is 2.5 million illegal crossing in the illegal immigration risk. And finally, what is obvious to all of us, if you just turn the spending off, I believe inflation comes down in a real and manifest way. If you start talking about tax policy that makes sense and and predictability in the regulatory state, people with certainty and predictability, they go back to creating jobs. They go back to making sure that they're making long-term investments. That helps to spur the economic engines in a way that attracts jobs back to America and high-tech manufacturing and the STEM future becomes ours. I know that
0: no senator wants to be asked this, much less on their birthday. But uh, I mean, the national Uh-oh. ambitions, like it's, it seems like you fit in there, man. I mean, it just seems like the message, the tone, as I said, the age, like it seems, it seems right to me.
1: You know, uh, Dave, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, my national ambition is to travel this country for the next seven weeks and my home state in order to win the majorities in the House and the Senate. I am a guy that, I figured out one thing several years ago applying for jobs is the worst way to get a job the best way to get a job is to do that job like no one's ever done it before and that's one of the reasons why in the last three weeks or so I've been to Florence and Myrtle Beach and Columbia and Charleston and Anderson South Carolina as well as Rock Hill and I'll be in Greenville and Spartanburg and Columbia again in the next couple weeks but I'm also in Iowa, Nebraska, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Tennessee, Florida Uh, Georgia and North Carolina in the last just few weeks. And I'll do more of the same in the next few weeks because I believe that the most important thing I can do with my time and my good health is to invest it in the future of America because one day there will be kids like yours running this country and we need to make sure they start off looking at the city on the hill. That doesn't happen on accident. I think for the last few years, we thought yeah. it is
0: that is Is that the so, sort of scariest part of what's going on that we seemingly have given up just what that flag right behind you represents? Just almost like that, like we Absolutely. just don't, I know we do and the people watching this, but so much of the ethos yeah. of America seems to have given up on that dream and that aspirational message.
1: You know, there's, there's something about, and I don't mean this to be negative and I don't mean this to be insulting. I just mean it to be real. This concept of being a global citizen where everything is all merged together is really unhealthy for the United States of America. The thing that has always been a part of American exceptionalism is not standing apart only, it's standing above. It's leading the world, not being a part of it. I want to help other countries succeed beyond their wildest imagination, but that starts by having America succeeding beyond our wildest imagination. We are the standard. When the standard becomes average, the world becomes subpar. Senator, I'm gonna let you go because it's your birthday and I said a half hour
0: and we're right there. What do you do on your 57th birthday? Besides hang out with Dave Rubin, I mean, what's going on tonight? I assume, I assume well, you're getting there, out of the it, office well, in a minute.
1: You, you know, I am, I'm gonna leave the office. I'm, I'm actually gonna go for a little bit of a run and then I'm gonna have dinner and contemplate uh, f- the future. I have a, I, I love I love just doing goal setting. I did it before I became a member of Congress. It's one of the things I do on my birthday. I, I love just thinking about the next 12 months and how to make my 50s fabulous. And a part of that, I will decide the, the next 12 months tonight. Senator, I hope your
0: predictions are right. And I'm glad we finally got to do this. I hope we can do it in person sometime. Happy birthday to you.
1: Thank you, Dave. Uh, God bless you. And congratulations on, on being a brand brand new father, uh, maybe again, but five First years one, old. First one, I'm going you're to bed future. right now. First one. There you go. <laughs> Thanks. God bless you. Take care.
0: Thanks for tuning in to The Ruben Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.